Welcome to Day 2 Clouds. Today, we want you to put your thinking cap on, pour yourself a, a nice cup of tea, perhaps, and sit back with our guest, John Collins. He's the VP of Research at GigOM, and he has some thoughts and opinions about cloud, multi-cloud, platforms, multi-platform. What does it all mean, Ethan? What does it all mean? What it means is we're on a journey. Actually, he's going to say that he hates that term and we're not uh, on a journey as such because it's so much more complicated than that. Not everything is going to go to cloud, nor will it ever, according to John. And he has some, uh, as you said, cerebral uh, thinking. Yeah, lots of thinking that John has done about this topic and and reflecting on the reality of enterprise IT, Ned, it is not all cloud these days. Absolutely. So pull up a chair and enjoy this episode with John Collins from GigaOM. Well, John, welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you and talk about what could be a controversial topic. You know, should you stay on the cloud? Should you move everything back? But before we get into that, why don't you tell the good folks out there a little bit about yourself and who you are? Okay. So, um, IT background, um, uh, started as a programmer, did systems management, ran a Unix environment, um, broke everything, uh, got shouted at a lot, ran a help desk, uh, had the therapy, um, wrote some books, did all that. So, so yeah, um, and then became an analyst. And it's really great because you don't actually have to uh, explain yourself anymore. You just have opinions about what other people do, uh, which uh, <laughs> which suits me. But uh, I still I still miss that. To be honest, I miss the the kind of the cut and thrust. I did I did run a little uh, healthcare startup for a while, um, which was fun. We went into a hospital and we tried to solve their problems, and uh, uh, we didn't get very far because uh, healthcare problems are bigger than we are. Um, so, uh, but it, it it was fun till the money ran out. Um, but um, the yeah the long and the short these days i uh, as uh, i'm kind of a gig i'm i'm titled as the vp of research but i'm kind of not the smartest person in the room i'm the one who tries to understand what everyone else is talking about and how it all fits together so uh, my area is more on the devops and uh, application deployment side so i, I do get that and, and i get a lot of security because i've got that in my background as well but uh then the rest is, it's more trying to take an architectural view of, of how it all fits together. Right. And as part of your work as an analyst, you get to talk to various enterprises and groups that are out there doing the day-to-day work. And, and you get more of a broad view as opposed to just like the one view you get from working at a specific company. What I would say about end users, the great thing, the trouble with analysts, and that that's a very deep rabbit hole. We don't want to get stuck down there too deeply, but uh Yes, end users come to us and ask, you know, what they should do. But the great thing is, generally, people working in small companies, large companies, medium-sized companies, they're solving problems day in, day out. They've already got a reasonable grasp of the pain. It's not up to us to say, oh, you need to change. Oh, you need to sort your lives out. Oh, get 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 your act together and so on. Our job is more to understand, to listen, uh, and and then try to start essentially shaping solutions in a way that then can be fed back and it, it, it's a kind of uh it's a peer relationship you know we're not trying to kind of tell everyone you know tell everyone in the world what's right it, it's more uh, i see it sometimes as kind of just outsourcing a brain cells because when i was in that position way back i just didn't have time to problem solve i was too busy just coping uh whereas now i do have that time i've got the luxury of just sitting back, getting a piece of paper, a nice cup of coffee, reading up, et cetera. And when people that I work with struggle and say, oh, I don't understand this. Oh, no. And then finally, after a few days, they've got it. And they go, oh, great. Okay. Literally, that's the job. You know, it's literally <laughs> to take that time. It's to struggle. It's to then understand it and then feed it back to the world. So, so it's a great place to be. Right, right. As an analyst, you're, you don't want to be issuing edicts from your ivory tower. It's it's that listening and then analysis of what you've heard and and having the time to do that. I, I agree. When I worked at a small company, I was running around with my hair on fire all the time. There was there was no chance to take take a think, <laughs> sit back with a cup of coffee. No, 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 no. You got to go yeah, put out the next fire. So I did rely on the work of analysts to think about the problems I was encountering and help me find solutions that that fit what was going on with me. So let's let's turn that gaze of the analyst to the world of cloud. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a really interesting blog post uh, around 
where cloud has been and where it's going. And I want to start with just the, the idea that's been prevalent in the last 10 years, which is that everything's cloud first. And I heard this constantly when I was in consulting, you know, from the from the C level down was we're taking a cloud first approach. What's wrong with that philosophy? It sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, uh, it, and, it, and it goes it goes back to opinions as well. I mean, when you say, you know, you shouldn't have opinions about things and, and edicts and so on. Uh, that is great. It's brilliant to just say, hey, everyone should digitally transform and, you know, it, it should all. Get, uh, and back when I started being an analyst, it was e-business, e-business or no business. And you throw out these things and, and it would all sound around cloud first. Yeah, do it. And then, and it's, it's kind of at board level. It's it's an easy win to say we've got a cloud first strategy and we've got a this and we've got a that, and, and it's so it, it's the good thing about those things is they're never wrong. No one's. It, it's almost like uh, back in the day it was you're not going to get fired for buying IBM. Uh, these days it's not you're not going to get fired for kind of just jumping on these trends and say mm-hmm. um, the trouble with it is that it's never worked. So bear with me as as I say this. So, so um, and I, I was writing about hybrid cloud back in two thousand and eight. I think it was uh, that I found my first blog post on on the register that was kind of referencing it. So I know I was talking about it then. And the situation that we're in today is not very different to the situation that we were in back then which is that, and you've got me on the spot, so I'm being very careful how I choose my words and I'm speaking really slowly. So the idea that everything could be a wholesale approach is the flawed idea. It could be called cloud first. It could be called edge first. It could insert whatever, you know, diamond first, insert whatever term you want there. And so it's it's not that it's wrong in principle. It's that the practice is constantly, has constantly been and continues to constantly be compromised by, by reality. Uh, and I remember once uh, someone talking to me about uh, uh, the reality of enterprise IT, and they, they likened it to something, and I don't know if this is what they were talking about, but it's where I've ended up with it in my head. They said it's like the Death Star. <laughs> so you, you look at the Death Star and it's kind of, all you can see is this complex surface, and yet within the Death Star, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and it, it's kind of it's complexity all the way down. To, to paraphrase uh, Stephen Hawking, it's uh, it it's not about just solving that that superficial stuff and saying you're done. The complexity goes all the way through the organization at such a level that, and you look at, for example, I mentioned the NHS, the N- NHS architecture ain't for moving it, it it's mm. like saying let's move the city into the cloud it's literally a similar analogy let's just lift it up and fly it up in the air ain't gonna happen so so it's not that i don't believe in the cloud first approach sorry it's a long-winded answer to a, a short question it's that if you've got a cloud first approach for new applications if you start putting kind of additional wording on that yeah absolutely let, let, let's go with it if you say let's move to the cloud and and without additional phrasing that suggests that that's at all prob- probable or possible, that's where I have a problem. So is it that cloud first doesn't work uh, or, or would it work for a new organization or does it not work for the average enterprise as you were saying because of the Death Star complexity? There's so much going on that you couldn't just move it to cloud even if you wanted to. If we say the cloud, that's suggestive of certain things. If we say cloud, that's suggestive mm. of other things. The cloud is suggestive of architecture. Uh, and then we can get into dynamic, elastic, scalable, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. If we say the cloud, it implies mm-hmm. a singular destination. Mm. And actually, if we look at all the as-a-service providers, and, and they've got, a, you know, I think, large and small, um, so right up to the AWSs and Azures and, and down to the the, the kind of the MongoDBs and uh Airtables and uh, Monday.coms and whatever else. Uh, there's been this land and expand model. So, so you know, try before you buy, uh, just use a bit of it. And before you know it, you're using a thousand different little things. And that's 
that's caused so this kind of a slash the cloud as a destination or just a cloud but if it's just cloud it implies a thousand destinations and then the problem comes because you've then got a thousand targets that you're aiming at and a thousand problems that you're solving for or a thousand times a thousand problems that you're solving for around integration and so on well, so you've created more problems you, you, you haven't moved to a singular place where everything's good you've moved to a thousand places and created a a whole bunch of other of other stuff that you've got to deal with. Well, it's it's the same challenge any enterprise I've worked with. It's you know you buy a tool to solve a problem. It's probably a bunch of different buying units that have buying authority, and they can pick up a thing. And there isn't necessarily a cohesive IT plan, so you end up with a lot of spread that way. We translate that into cloud. We move some stuff to AWS, and we move some stuff to Azure for those sort of workloads. But there's also a bunch of uh, SaaS services that we're consuming as well, and so you've got this spread of products that go all over the place. And instead of your building it all and standing it up on your own infrastructure it's just on everybody else's infrastructure the cost model of which may or may not be beneficial and uh the consumption of which may or may not be homogenous in style and probably isn't there's probably six different ways you're consuming all of this stuff yeah and i i, I pick up on the the kind of nion gospel um point uh it's been nion what people have been told should be gospel Mm. Um, and people have gone, oh, yeah, we we definitely need to move to the journey to the cloud is a phrase I, I, I dislike intensely because we've been told, we, yeah, we're on a journey to the, we're going to the cloud. It's all about this kind of, again, it's reinforcing the notion of, uh, of a singular place. And actually, I'm, I'm not sure we we're ever going to get there um, from, from, from that point of view, but it, it's been, and I'm, I don't want to say, that the the hyperscaler marketing people were deliberately conning the world um because that would be wrong of me and i don't think it's true uh equally to just keep saying you're on a journey let's do it gets you so far by which time they've got a whole bunch of revenues out of that situation and there's an ambivalence as to whether or not the destination exists because the money's good. That makes sense. Why, why stop them? It's, it's increasing our footprint. It's increasing our, our, our customer base. So why wouldn't you? Yeah, well, when you talked about the Death Star, and I think of that as a single concrete object, right? And, and, and the whole point of the Death Star was the ability mm-hmm. to move to other uh, solar systems, uh, and then blow up planets, which, you know, lovely. Uh, but the point is it was a singular unit and that was one of its downfalls as well, is that it did work as a single cohesive unit. So it couldn't scatter, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was just this big hulking mass. And if you're thinking about the journey to the cloud, the idea that that's painted in one's mind is you have this single object the enterprise that is on this journey to a particular destination, and that sounds like a really good story, but the reality of it, as you kind of expressed, is that it's actually a whole bunch of destinations. Mm-hmm. And so you have to take this singular object and just imagine it fragmenting like mm-hmm. a like a diaspora of all these different components of the enterprise going in a hundred different directions to embrace the SaaS or the cloud that meets their needs. And how do you manage that when you've gone when you're used to this monolithic structure? And now you're moving to uh, like microservices, <laughs> but but for an enterprise. And I, I think, in fact, what you've done is you, you've flipped the notion of a journey to the notion of uh, travel, uh, which is brilliant. Um, and uh, did I do that? Wow, <laughs> go me. Uh, but uh, so and, and bringing in the diaspora, uh, I did. It, staying in the same place wasn't wasn't ever going to be possible. So getting people on board with the idea that they're going to have to spread. And actually what the cloud gives us, and you bring in microservices and so on, is massive scale, massive distribution, run anything anywhere. Um, then it gives us problems of sovereignty and compliance and, uh, uh, and and all those things are going on. But that's the reality. That We're not on a journey towards anything. We're on a journey away from mm. from where we were. And it's an expansion journey. It's a bit like reach, going going to the stars, as you say. We're, we're not we're not heading. We're not going to the moon. We're going to the stars. And this could be construed as kind of philosophical banter, but actually, I, I think it's massively important 
because there's revenues tied up in getting people to think in a certain way and there's revenues uh, and there's revenues and solutions tied up with getting people to think in the right way versus the wrong way so i i think if we think of it as a journey to the stars uh massively distributed uh, the issue starts to be all around the network uh how to manage that the issue starts to be all around configuration and synchronization and uh where is anything and, and so on and so forth um that's 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 reality that that's that's actually what's going on um and um that that i embrace so so it, it's not the cloud isn't you ask the question is isn't does that mean cloud isn't the answer it's happen this stuff's happening anyway but the the idea that we're on a journey towards a single place is is yeah. the the falsehood that i would Cloud is not is not the answer, or or the cloud. Public cloud is not the answer. Um, cloud is, uh, Ned. We were talking about this before the show a little bit. Cloud is an operational model. Cloud is a way of consuming uh, IT. Could be a mm -hmm. destination, but uh, public cloud, as in AWS, Azure, SaaS services, places you park, compute, and get things done or consume services, may not be the one way you do things it could be a, there are and we we know this from rea this is reality a variety of ways that we consume including on premises still mm -hmm. and, and and to to move to i mean that there are still monolithic applications on premise you know um there are still and then you know monolithic modern monolithic you know we went through the lamp stack phase and then into the open stacky world and you know virtual machines and and everything else uh still a massive investment in those things and sometimes it just doesn't make economic sense to move from whatever you've got and other times it doesn't make risk sense so you know i'd love to change london you know the sewer system is just terrible uh and there's loads of but you literally can't and there's the tech equivalent of that you, you can't just kind of uh, go in and uh, change your data paths. Uh, when, when I was working in a, a hospital, um, I literally heard that story that you should never hear. And given that this was healthcare, you should never ever hear, which was there's only two people know about that system. And if one of them, and that they can't ride in a taxi together, because if something <laughs> happened to one of them, we don't want it to happen, but to both of them. Mm. It, like th that's, that's, the reality of one one very small part of a very very complex system that's that's what we're dealing with well john how much does cost you brought up cost and budget and economics uh, a moment ago how much does that weigh into this spreading out of uh workloads and software everywhere um there's this this is really where it's really interesting and and it, again it's reality check a Many organizations don't know how much money they're spending on uh, cloud-based services and solutions today. They they just don't. Um, and um, you know, don't ask me. Don't ask me for an official stat on that. Um, just to, if anyone wants an official stat, just look at your own organization and say, "Do you?" Um, and mm -hmm. use yourself as the as a sample of one. But um, and the, the reason for that is in part because the the solutions have come in uh, from the ground up. So there'll, there'll be a credit card purchase here or a freemium model there or an open source thing uh, over there. And every single system that is used will have a cost. There'll be a manpower cost associated with it just in terms of managing it, or there'll be an integration cost, or there'll be an extra piece of software that manages it that then has to have an, a paid license in order to manage that as an additional module or or whatever generally that there will be a cost associated with it even if there's no direct licensing cost so that at the moment we're seeing an absolute explosion in finops companies anyone with a spreadsheet can become a finops consultancy now which is which is fabulous and once again i'm missing the boat because i, I should be immediately calling myself a finops consultant and just going in there <laughs> and saying let's do a software audit and let's let's write it all down and give you a figure back but the reason for that explosion is people suddenly the awareness of well two things one is 
the awareness of the fact that people don't know how much they're spending and then they start to look and they find it's quite a lot um particularly in these time more recessionary times and the second is that the the growth of cloud-based uh, platforms and services has hit the CFO at the point that finally the CFO in general in generalizing here but has said actually no I I'm not going to just change my entire way of uh amortizing um asset purchases over three years just because the, the the it department tells me that i'm doing it wrong um and uh and when you look at um subscription-based models they don't necessarily make the mo- most sense from a business finance and business planning perspective they seem to make sense because this was the theory five ten years ago it would be cheaper that way when it's not cheaper that way, all bets are off. Uh, and if you'd prefer to spend uh, three-year cycles, a CapEx model, you decide what you're going to buy and, and you lock it all down up front and then you stick with it whether it was the right thing or not. Um, sure, there are disadvantages to that, but it's not necessarily 100 times more expensive than than the alternative. I think if you look at the cost models that... IT was pushing over the last five, six years, uh, there was a certain amount of hubris in there. Like, we're smart. We know tech. That means we can figure out finance too. And coming to the CFO and going, no, you don't understand. This is the better way to do it. And like the subscription-based thing seems really good. Just kind of like how in the US, we had bundled cable where you had all these channels you didn't care about and you were paying like this lump sum kind of thing. And then suddenly we had all these streaming channels where, oh, well, I only have to pay $15 to get all the streaming I want. But now I have to subscribe to 20 different streaming services to get the content I got from one cable bill uh, five, six years ago. And I feel like, I want to get your thoughts on this. Are the CFOs now pushing back and saying, no, we have to we, we have to stop the bleeding and maybe bring some stuff back in-house and shift from a subscription back to a uh, an upfront capital payment for things? I think that there, there is there is some pushback. And don't get me wrong, when when I've done work around CFO, there's a lot of very old fuddy-duddy CFO thinking going on. You know, it's kind of a accountant type thinking isn't necessarily the most forward thinking approach uh, and that does need to change because uh, the world is more dynamic and however things are moving forward financial models have to move forward with that as well yeah you know, the business economics is changing and you have to keep on top of how those changes are uh, are coming about you can't just assume that how you did it in the 60s was is still going to work having said that uh the um the the pushback is that is coming at the same time as a recognition that it plays to the weaknesses in human behavior so um the and a bit like you're saying about the the cable subscription versus the netflix plus the apple plus the this plus the that suddenly you realize you're paying for all of them Whereas, and each one has kind of pushed up its price to kind of, you know, $8 or $15 or whatever. Whereas before, altogether, you'd be paying about $20 for the whole lot. Um, and then you're not using all of them. So so that similar model is now being applied to individuals in teams, uh, to to individual groups. Uh, so the market, I mean, you know, the, the whole MarTech revolution, it, it, it's just a chaotic um if if you look at the the kind of the periodic table of marketing technology uh, companies it's huge and, and massively complex and a lot of that is predicated on the fact that um it's that's the way that marketing uh, teams spend their budgets is t- is often tactical so it it's literally leaning on human psychology it's going oh well if you're tactical spend we'll give you tactical purchase mm. and and hope that you don't notice month on month that you're not using it enough um and so all of those things are coming back up to the CFO and he's going, hang on, why am I running databases from 72 different vendors? Right. Uh, and if, if you look at the DevOps world, one big bank said, we've got 5,700 pipelines because we've got 5,700 applications that we're building. And each one has a completely different pipeline. Hmm. So 
all of this is about the kind of the art of the it's almost the paradox of choice applied to uh, the enterprise that you know rather than being stuck in front of the yogurt aisle going well i don't know anymore i'll just buy whichever one comes you know whichever one's got the best special offer we're literally doing that in the enterprise um and and it's and it proves very very expensive particularly if you apply the gym membership theory to it which is yeah you buy it and then you don't use it Mm -hmm. because it was all good intentions it's all playing to our weak psychological weaknesses. So one thing I want to push back on a little bit uh, in terms of the CFO having to come into the modern era and rethink some of their financial models. I think there, there's definitely a certain aspect of truth to that. But at the same time, when, when you see people that don't have the historical experience and context of finance jump into finance and try to do do something new and revolutionary. You have stuff like FTX. We tried to do something new and revolutionary and either they get it horribly wrong and you've got like NFTs where even if they're not a scam, they're probably not worth it. Or you just have outright fraud. So like, I think it's important to balance the, the experience that people who've been in the financial world for a long time have with the, era of new ideas and concepts that have come out of the technology. We need old fuddy-duddy grown-ups that tell us that it didn't work last time. And there's nothing more <laughs> infuriating. Um, but yeah, we, we absolutely need that. Um, I mean, there's an interest that I'm thinking of when I spoke to, I can't remember his surname now and he's left, uh, but uh, Steve, someone was the CMO of Harness, um, the CD company. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll come back to me. He's a Geordie from Newcastle. Um and um, he said, yeah, Harness was supposed to be a CD product, literally uh, bundle up your applications and then deploy them. But they built in this uh, financial measurement module, uh, uh, which then you could kind of see something running on Azure, see how much it was costing you. Then you could kind of just do a calculation of how much it would cost you if you run it on AWS. And then if it was going to be cheaper on AWS, you could literally just redeploy it over on AWS and it would cost take you a couple of hours. And suddenly they found that uh, massive growth for the company at the time um, because people were buying their product in order to, when, when they started getting the visibility uh, mm. on, on what the um, costs were and how much they could be saving, if they didn't just leave things as they were, uh, they, they, the, the, that was very exciting for, for organizations. So, all of that to say that this lack of visibility is uh, being used as part of the business model. Um, and um, the CFO, in his his or her fuddy-duddy old ways, needs that visibility. And really, I guess the only thing I'm advocating for is let's get the visibility right. Um, mm. And not just um, or across the um, as-a-service uh, portfolio, and that's really important, but then the, the costs of migration, the costs of um, uh, data um, egress, if if you decide that you don't want to work with a cloud provider anymore, um, the risks, as we've seen uh, with, with recent conflicts and so on, of having your data in the, in the wrong country uh, and, and what that might mean, uh, et cetera, and the costs associated with risk mitigation there. So it is all about um, get, getting those cost models right. Uh- so visibility issues aside, we're not going to solve those. <laughs> we're not going to solve those today. We're not going to solve those this year. I don't think uh, it's certainly a very hot topic across the industry. But what you, you've argued, John, that cloud adoption is not really vi- cloud first or cloud only, not financially viable, not operationally viable for the typical enterprise. Okay, mm-hmm. what do you think a future model of IT looks like? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> so there's the model I would advocate for. There's the beautiful, you know, service oriented, uh, everything as a container, everything configuration managed, uh, everything dynamically orchestrated, policy as code driven, infrastructure as code, GitOps, full cycle. I mean, we could draw that picture and it's great. And it's just kind of that, that would be the perfect blueprint for, uh, how the future of application should work. Applying into that, uh, 
the management level. And I think that's the big thing that's missing from today's approaches. Uh, and then we go down a DevOps rabbit hole and an agile rabbit hole of organizations that want to be agile and say they're being agile, but they're not, they're just being chaotic. Um, so, so they need to kind of, the governance isn't an add on that comes later. Uh, you, you need, you need to start with that. Otherwise the whole thing, you, continuous integration back when we started talking about that 10 years ago only works if you're really uh, robust at applying process principle, you, you can't just, otherwise it very quickly falls into a heap. You, you, you try and do three deployments a day and you go, well, we can't. And you, know, and you create a huge bottleneck in text testing and it all, it all falls apart very quickly. So governance, it has to be governance kind of driven, if you like, governance from the kind of you know, policies and management and all those things uh, driven. Uh, so that's that, but that's the theoretical blueprint of of joy. And I know even you know some of the big organisations like the you know some of the companies we've mentioned that are that are, that started cloud first. They were built on AWS, um, trying to operate at massive scale. Then equally hit problems of configuration management of so 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 those problems that those challenges always exist. But again, the theoretical model of that's what you can build. Absolutely. The actual model of having that running alongside everything else, you know, the multiple Death Stars uh, that exist in, in the standard enterprise, that what I think we've done as a kind of philosophical situation is we've denied that that's true. We've literally said they'll eventually move into the cloud, so let's not worry about them. And that just isn't the case. So we've got to the the, the real model is we've got to see our entire architecture in terms of all the cloud first because we made it that way and we want it that way and it's beautiful and thank you. Then all the other stuff, each properly managed. Uh, and then all of that feeding into a single kind of governance framework and dashboard and so on and so forth. You can't have it kind of the beautiful world over here, all being kind of well-governed and so on, and everything else, ah, oh, we'll just let it fester because, <laughs> because that way just adds risk and adds cost and so on. So, so I, you, you talk about, you know, generally these conversations go into, oh, you mean multi-cloud? Oh, it's ending up as hybrid. Oh, it's et cetera, et cetera. I actually think it ends up as a multi-platform architecture. Mm. And and part of that platform is a bit crappy. It's not how we want it, but it's still a part. It's a bit like I don't know the middle child. It's it, it's it's the kind of uh, it's the bit that no yeah or 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 that person who always seems to be at the pub when you go down there and you got a kind of you know oh, a bit smelly but you know and the really bad sense of humour. But they've been around a long time. And you can't just kick them out. Um, so, 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 so but you mean learning to live with that, uh, that smelly patron that's there as opposed to, we're going to bring them into the future here and we're going to, we're going to clean them up and everything's going to be great. You're, you're saying live with the reality that you're never going to get that piece of it architecture move to cloud or friendly to infrastructure as code or however you want to describe it. You, you got to live with it as is. Yeah. And, and I, and I think if you take mainframe, for example, because heck, why not? Because uh, yeah, it's a bit like the the Godwin's law of tech, isn't it? All conversations ultimately lead to mainframe, and then you have to shut up. <laughs> uh, but um, the the thing that you know, AWS uh, started up a, a mainframe group um, last year, uh, and they deliberately did that um, for two reasons. One is uh, their public reason. This is my take. One is their public reason, which is. Over time, they want to migrate whatever's on the mainframe into the cloud. Also, ever so handy, possibly more real for the next decade or so reason, is they're never going to shift that stuff. And therefore, they've got to work out how to make their stuff work with the mainframe stuff. And there are valid reasons why they're never going to do it. There's the data model reasons. There's, uh, as I mentioned before, there's the risk reasons. There's the fact that the mainframe is actually very good at doing the things that it does. Uh, and we saw this back in the days of Microsoft trying to prove that, it, you know, back in the 90s saying, ah, open servers are just as good as anything you've got out there. Uh, but funnily enough, 30 years later, things are still on the mainframe. So 
you know, it's a it's a very long game, Microsoft, um, and uh, and and still being played. But then, so if you look at the if you look at it from a multi platform perspective, you go, well, hang on, we can start running bits of the cloud as such inside the mainframe. We we can put you know virtual machines in there. We can run Linux on them. We can put Kubernetes on that. We can put uh, uh, DevOps tool chains in there, and then suddenly we can start accessing the mainframe data without having to get it out of the mainframe. And suddenly we can do real-time anti-fraud. And it's great. Why, why wouldn't you? Why, why, why are you going to shift all of that all the way to some third-party provider um, with, with massive risk and, and a whole new architecture when all you have to do is just spin up a few containers inside, inside the mainframe and, and start accessing that juicy data? It, it just makes... You can do that in a couple of days, whereas the re- the alternative would take years. So much of what you're talking about is operational in nature. It's about changing processes mm-hmm. and not switching locations. It's not it's not a location argument, and I think that's kind of what we get stuck on when it comes to the cloud. Is we just have this in our mindset that going to the cloud means literally moving the workload to a different location. And what you're talking about is, no, you're going to bring the cloud operations or just better operational processes we've figured out over the last 10 years to work with our systems that we already have today. So you're not going to change that patron to to a perfect citizen, but maybe you can interact with them in a better Mm -hmm. way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and I think and I and I um I hope uh, whoever's listening to this didn't put uh, associate me talking about the smelly guy in the bar uh, with uh, the mainframe uh, engineer. Um, <laughs> oh. Absolutely not my intention. Uh, 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 because it it's not about and, and you know it, it's it, it's almost ageist to to kind of go far too down too far down that track to kind of say, well, yeah, there's all the old, the old people that are doing that old stuff and it's, you know, it should all be thrown away and we should replace it by this Kool-Aid drinking generation that where everything's just going to work. Cause uh, and a, a lot of the things that you're talking about are very old principles. Um, and I even go back to, you know, containerization, the art of good containerization patterns are pretty much going to go down back to Jordan and Constantine's 1975 paper on structured design because it's all about cohesion and coupling and reducing dependencies and and so on and so forth. Yeah, the, the, it's it's good old stuff. There's there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so I think um, the only danger with cloud is we get too hung I mean, this could almost be the thread right the way through. We get too hung up on the word. And then because we love labels, it's a bit like prog rock or or you know acid jazz or, or whatever. It's like, well, that isn't acid jazz. What are you talking about? We have these huge arguments. That's not real cloud. I can hear people saying already, <laughs> and, and so we kind of get stuck on the terminology. And actually, it's about just deciding where's the right thing for something to run um, most efficiently and with minimal risk and a maximum effectiveness and all that. Uh, and then also applying the right controls. Um, and I, I think that, I mean, it's why I get quite excited about GitOps and, and infrastructure as code, for example, because um, it is about n- n- now that you can virtualize things, it means you can have my dream uh, situation, which is you can say, ah, oh, everything worked really well last Tuesday at 3 p.m. Let's go back to that. Let's just... Let's just go back to that state, which you couldn't do with, with old with old hardware and old architecture. So the software-defined view of the world, I, I think, is great. Um, but then you've, we've got to keep when, when it comes to the back to what we we're saying about the cloud costs. We've got to keep con- control over not just our ability to do things, but our ability to measure value from those things, because otherwise we're just I don't know, creating a whole series of Mickey Mouse sorceress apprentices, um, and they're creating more and more brooms. And it's like, whoopee, look what I've done. And then there's no one there clearing them up afterwards. Mm, thousand brooms, and all you need is a vacuum cleaner. I hear you. Yeah, so if I'm, let, let's assume that I'm an IT manager at an enterprise and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, so, um, 
what do I do in the next three years? Like, what's my plan? Do I just, is it all just Kubernetes? Is that just what I need to do? <laughs> well, interestingly, I mean, I went to KubeCon in uh, Valencia and it was absolutely heaving, which was just post COVID. You know, it was like kind of, you're there kind of going, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, definitely, I, I think I, I, I'm a huge advocate of architecture. Uh, and co cohesiveness of architecture uh, and getting the level. It's a bit like the 1975 thing. If you get the level right, then you can build on top of it and you can, you can change things below it. Uh, yeah, the seven layer model in networking is, is fantastic at this as well, because it just says that here's what we're doing at this level. And I think Kubernetes at that level is, is a great tool for building on top of. Um, and it seems to be what we're kind of, uh, going for rather than Docker Swarm or or whatever else might have been possible at one point in time. But the point was isn't about Kubernetes. That's an orchestration mechanism for microservices. The point is about microservices. And then it's about managing those microservices in the right way. So I would say, to so you asked about the IT manager. I think generally, to your point earlier, and we can debate this one, but IT breaks into two parts. It's the people building stuff and then it's the people running stuff. So the people building stuff, yeah, pretty much, I think, um, um, service wrappers is is the answer. So get your head around those patterns. Uh, and uh, so that's pretty much... And again, I'm, I'm going back a bit, but it's not that different to what we were doing in component-based development or in service orientation or whatever. It, it's just understanding the chunks of functionality. Yeah, how, how you want to chunk stuff up so you can build stuff efficiently. Get your head around that if you haven't already and get your head around the current tooling that enables you to do that. I, th I think that would be a really good thing. And then on the operational side, um, I think it's about... Um, managing for effectiveness so um that's where i would stick with i i would i wouldn't i would be learning some new things but most importantly i would be trying to understand how to manage my entire environment as a cohesive architecture mm -hmm. uh, and that does go go into um what my you know, colleague uh ron williams starts talking about operational awareness um and and you start to play the observability goes in there and ai ops goes in there etc cetera, etc cetera. but ultimately it's about how do you fix something when it's broken and it's meantime to to um resolution uh and those sorts of best practices um uh across the two while i think about it um are the dora principles um which are, which i'm not a huge fan of for the simple reason is that they they get you to a starting point they don't get you to a conclusion but but um but having the ability to to kind of put those measures in place which brings me to the third piece i would have of the pie which is how are you managing it all um and, and i mean from the point of view of uh the it's where the GitOps stuff stuff fits in it's where atlassian tools fit in it, it it's the whole kind of how are we going to define our epics, our stories, or, or whatever else that we're building in a way that operations can understand them? How can operations report a problem back in a way that uh, the the people building stuff won't just go, ah, it's just them complaining again, um, etc. So I would be putting that triangle together and seeing how we how we can how we can make those three pieces work. So John, with that holistic view, that triangle you created, that uh, managers would more take that view of their IT and their IT operations. What advice would you have for those folks in the trenches that are hands-on, using the tools, actually doing the operational, uh, the engineering work? How should they be looking at their careers? How do they skill up at this point? Um, so it's a really good question. I'm, I'm not a great believer uh, or advocate for this idea that you know, developers are the great, are the new kingmakers and uh, you know, they should just do what they like and learn all these new tools and all these new languages and so on. And we've, we've got this massive fragmentation right now. Um, and 
I think there is a point where they have to start becoming a bit more boring um, and not just uh, seeing a pull request every morning as the thing that you know, sometimes it's about not doing things rather than doing things. Um, so uh, the, I think uh, I'd be hoping developers and that world start to see themselves sure as gatekeepers, maybe rather than um, so key holders rather than uh, kingmakers. They, they do hold the key to the future, and, and but then what skills do you need to build around being a good key holder? And it's it's about learning. I'm, I'm probably starting to sound like a broken record, and I don't mean to, but <laughs> the architectural principles, uh, and, and and so get going up a level. So even if you're learning Go or you're learning whatever language is 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 the one that seems to be popping up, you're always doing it within. An overall, yeah, but how how am I going to kind of uh, uh, manage this in Git? And uh, I mean, there's tools like um, what's it called now? Um, uh, Zen Hub. Um, I, I'm a I'm a big um, uh, advocate of value stream management, um, which is largely about applying business process modeling principles to the development and operations process. So. Uh, if you, when you're building stuff, how do you build it in such a way that you're not spending more on building it than you're going to get value out of it at the end kind of thing? Um, uh, and yeah, what, what happens when you hit the bottleneck at testing and uh, then everything stops for a month and no one can, can build anything, et cetera? So it's addressing those sorts of concerns. I, I'd be looking at tools like that to augment what I'm doing as a developer. Um, and seeing development just as uh, starting to take responsibility, be starting to not, I want to say developers grow up. I don't mean like <laughs> that. I mean, just kind of as the development world increases in maturity, uh, it's, it then starts to get a handle on, you know, building things for the right reasons and, and knowing to ask for reasons, et cetera. And, and the other thing I, I think from a purely practical perspective is, uh learning security skills mm -hmm. um i think that the biggest um cause of um unnecessary unnecessary expense is building things without having thought about security uh as, as you go along so um every project uh, i've I, ever I, been a part of oh yeah we need to secure this we should have thought about this in the opening meeting in the kickoff not now <laughs> It's interesting. I can't remember who said the stat, but they said something like, you know, for every 500 uh, application developers, there's two security people. It, it, it's it's literally uh, that that kind of imbalanced. Um, yeah. And I, I think a developer with security skills, well, I'm sure you know from your experience, I'm sure it's still true, that a developer with security skills is gold dust. So if you're looking to differentiate yourself from the other developers, uh, just just yeah, pick up pick up some um, you know do your whatever it is ISSE course or um, whatever to just pick up some 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 basic security. So it, it, it's a huge topic on the development side because it's not just the code you're writing; it is also the code you're implementing or your, the code you're leveraging, uh, open source libraries and things, and understanding how they all work. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. and just but, so it would be very. I'm imagining, and I don't have direct experience of this, but to become the go-to person when things start not working properly, like oh god, did, did no one check that library? Who should we speak to? Ah, let's speak to Sheila. She knows about this stuff, you know. So uh, you want to be when it's harder and harder to differentiate yourself, and and I, I think one of the issues with one of the positives is is there's still a massive dearth of uh talent required even with all the layoffs uh recently there's there's still i know in the uk we're like kind of two hundred thousand developers short uh, mm. of of the number of uh, job applications that are out there um so uh that that's you know there's, there's massive opportunities uh but then the question is how do you how do you kind of be even better than all the other ones and and so i i would i would go up into architecture skills and security skills and uh and probably the as code stuff you know the infrastructure the terraform and 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 so on and be building out skills because 
I'm not saying it's easy to learn a new language, um, but uh, everyone will be learning new languages all the time, but they won't necessarily be learning the stuff that's around the the the, the core skills. Right. I, I like that you're focusing on fundamentals and focusing on expanding out your skill set beyond just development or operations. So bringing in some security or maybe even some like financial ops ideas, uh, if if that can fall under your purview, because if you can help save the company money, they usually like that too. <laughs> I think, I think it's worth, um, uh, it, it's a, it's a difficult thing. So it depends on the career path, obviously. And I, I know people that have gone up into management. I'm sure we all do. They've gone up into management and then thought, actually, do you know what? I really liked life when I was just programming stuff. And I, I just want <laughs> Can I can I go back? Uh, and and the answer is yeah, sure. Some people I know are starting to retire now, and they've had a successful career as a programmer right the way through. Um, and I'm vaguely jealous of them, but yeah, they 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 settled early and they carried on, and and wasn't that fantastic? Um, so I, I think good engineering is is always fantastic. Equally where this uh whole session together started was was kind of the, the fact that things are out of control so i think that the the real kind of uh and we went through the kind of philosoph philosophical debates around kind of terminology and so on but the the real kind of the people that we need in the future are the ones that can help us see through it all coherently and that requires, uh, I would very much, I'm thinking patterns and anti-patterns as a great kind of, both from a design perspective and then from a financial modeling perspective. And then um, learn to be good communicators. I mean, that, that's always uh, in, in, a sea of, uh, in a sea of geeks, the good communicators stand out. Um, hmm. And it's stuff that can be learned. So, you know, why not? Yeah. So it's not a solution you can buy. It's a skill you have to develop. I think Absolutely. that's, I'll put a little cherry on the top with that one. Um, so John, if, if folks want to hear more from you, where, where are some good places to find you and your writing out on the internet? Um, well, if anyone's got any questions, they can always ping me directly. If, uh, if we're all still on Twitter, I'm at Jono. Um, I think I'm at Jono101 on Mastodon. Uh, you can find me. So I can't remember which server, Mastodon dot something. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm always open to find, to learn more. I had a, a very good debate around chat GPT. And I said, well, I think it's like this. And someone gave me reasons why it wasn't. I was like, oh, I don't think it's like this anymore. So <laughs> I'm, I'm always open to, 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 to having my thinking changed. Um, and um that that's probably a good starting starting place. So so yeah, just ping me with any questions. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, happily bore people with uh, uh, a long series of blog posts they could read uh, at, at any opportunity. But um, uh, just find me. Awesome. We'll include a link to that as well as the blog post that kicked off this whole conversation. John Collins, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day Two Cloud. And hey virtual high fives to you out there listeners for tuning in if you have suggestions for future shows we'd love to hear about them uh, you can hit either of us up on twitter at day two cloud show or you can fill out the request form at day two cloud.io if you like engineering oriented shows like this one visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe all of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there, including the shiny new Kubernetes Unpacked with Michael Levan. It's all nerdy content designed for your professional career development. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 